As we now continue uh, our series through uh, the Messianic Psalms, I'll ask that you turn to Psalm 40 with one hand and then turn to Hebrews 10 and hold that also uh, with the other. We'll start off with Psalm 40. I recognize some folks that have, haven't been uh, traveling this journey with us, so as a brief refresher or reminder, let me first say that when we refer to a psalm as being messianic, we're referring to those psalms in the biggest book of the Bible that point specifically or implicitly to Christ. Sometimes that might be an entire chapter. However, sometimes it might be just a short portion of a chapter. In other cases, it might just be a verse or two. I know some people even wonder about that. So it's most often the case that the psalmist, by the enablement of the Spirit, writes about things that are related to himself, yet by God's providence, there's an application that points to Christ or reality that cannot apply to anyone else except Christ. A great way to grab hold of this concept is 2 Timothy, uh, Timothy 3.16, which says all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching. So you have the Holy Spirit of God superintending and you have the writer. And so if God is writing redemptive history and is pointing to Christ, surely we would find, as Jesus himself said in Luke 24, things concerning himself. Now, one of the key ways in which we are informed that a psalm is messianic in its orientation is by its use in the New Testament. In that regard, the book of Matthew, Acts, and Hebrews are the primary places where the messianic psalms are seen or quoted in the New Testament. So now with that quick refresher in hand, let us read Psalm 40. Uh, tonight I'm just going to focus or read the first 10 verses. This is the word of our Lord, so let's give careful attention to it. The word of our Lord, I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure he put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not turn to the proud, to those who go astray after a lie. You have multiplied, O Lord my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts toward us. None can compare with you. I will proclaim and tell all of them. Yet there are more than can be told. In sacrifice and offering you have not delighted, but you have given me an open ear. Burnt offering and sin offering you have not required. Then I said, Behold, I have come. In the scroll of the book it is written of me. I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. I have told the glad news of deliverance in the great congregation. Behold, I have not restrained my lips. As you know, O Lord, I have not hidden your deliverance within my heart. I have spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your steadfast love and your faithfulness from the great congregation. Now, last week, Father, we again thank you for this opportunity to open your, your word and ask that you would illumine our hearts and our minds. Again, it is our desire here at this church that we would magnify our Lord, that is, we would draw near to him, and as we do so, he would be seen in our eyes for who he is, 
in all his glory. Would you do that even now? And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So again, last week we looked at Psalm 18, indicating it was a psalm of thanksgiving. David thanked God for his mighty deliverance, doing so through the use of several metaphors. The central one, as you might remember, was a rock. Well, this psalm starts off in much the same way, but then transitions to a mixture of prayer and lament. There's a definite and identifiable flow of thought here, each necessarily hinging on the other. So let's look at this flow this evening through three headings. First, an incomparable deliverance. Second, an incomparable resource. And third, a proper response. First, an incomparable deliverance. Look at verses 1 and 2. David writes, I wait patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog and set my feet upon a rock. Again, last week when we looked at Psalm 18, we saw that there's so many different uses for a rock. And it magnifies our understanding of who God was for us. One of the things that we did not talk about was the fact that a rock, in terms of being elevated, when it's your foundation and you stand on top of it, you see down at the things that would try to harm you. David, when he was running from Absalom, when he was fleeing <clears throat> from Saul, he hid in the crevices. He knew every crevice and every cranny in the rocks. He was elevated to such a position that he could actually look down and see Saul. And know that where Saul was. And he had two opportunities to kill Saul. But he did not take advantage of those opportunities. Because he said, why would he touch God's anointing in that sense? But just like he did in Psalm 18, God heard David's cry. David cried out here. I waited patiently. I heard, and he heard my cry. So just like Psalm 18, God moves heaven and earth to rescue David, to rescue those that are his. We know that he causes all things to work together even while we are yet afar off and even more so after he revealed himself, after he has revealed himself to us and taught us how to call upon his name. David said, I waited patiently. I want you to remember that word patiently. I'm going to come back to it. He inclined to me and heard my cry. That is God pays particular attention to those that are his. He inclines himself to those that are his. You know, it was April 27, 2018. A man and his wife and his sister-in-law jumped in two vehicles from South Florida, and 13 and a half hours later, they were entered into a place called Mississippi um, down a little bit north from here. And the lady, the wife, decided, you know, we need to sort of make sure we look good enough before we go to the host, the house where we're going to be going. And so we pulled over in the side of the road, the man and the woman and the sister-in-law. And then after, you know, the wife felt like, yeah, she's pretty up enough. You know, the man didn't feel like he needed to get prettied up. And, but anyhow, so they started back on their way, but there was only one problem. The cars were stuck in mud. And they tried and they tried and they, and they kept going. 
And the more they pushed on the, the gas, the deeper the wheels got in the mud. And if the people who have heard this before know that the term was stuck in Mississippi. <laughs> and so there was this woman across the street looking at this, everything that's unfolding. And remember, this is 11 o'clock at night at this particular point. And so this woman is across the street. She has her blinds up, her shades up, and everything else. And so, you know, the man feels a little bit hopeless, and there's no way out of this situation. And so he turns, and he sees the woman with her window open like that, and he turns around, and he says, hey, to the woman, you know, trying to maybe get a tow truck. And the woman closes a blind and let the window down. <laughs> Thankfully, the people who the man was supposed to be staying with, Jack and Kathy Haney, his deliverer, had a truck with a chain. And they came and they put the chain on the vehicles and they were able to pull it out. Now, why am I telling you that? You know, they say don't let a good crisis go to waste. That's the new thing in the political realm, right? Well, here's the thing. Us being stuck in that Mari bog is the same thing each of us, situation each of us were spiritually. Each of us were dead in our sin and stuck in miry clay, unable to get out, came into the world the same way we entered into Mississippi, entered into the world in sin, hopelessly lost and without any hope of deliverance. But just like Jack and Kathy Haney became our deliverer, Jesus Christ, the Lord God himself showed up in the life of David and in our lives and delivered us beyond our wildest dream. So you see that, brothers and sisters, believe it or not, is a picture of what happened to us, like I said, in Christ. We were in a miry bog of clay, of mud, came into the world that way. Now concerning verse 3, after we've experienced this, he says, David says concerning his experience of deliverance and all the stuff that he went through. Remember, David went through this stuff for years in verse 3, he said, he put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to God. Many will see in fear and put their trust in the Lord. David has a new song in his heart. Let me ask you something. Do you ever ask yourself, why do people think like that? How can anyone think abortion is right? Do you ever ask yourself those questions? How can anyone think that killing is right? How can anyone think euthanasia is right? Any of those things, do you ever answer those questions? Do you ever answer those questions by saying to yourself, wait a minute, I was like that too. In high school, I know that I thought that abortion was okay. And in my college freshman composition class, I wrote a paper defending euthanasia. You know, euthanasia's uh, assisted suicide. I'm far removed from thinking like that now. But you know why? It's not because I became smarter. It's not because I became wiser. It's not any of that. It's because I've become, uh, be, become a person that's filled with God's spirit. And that's the same testimony that each and every one of us has. He's given us a new song, a new perspective on things. His perspective when he delivered us and he revealed himself to us, and we start seeing him for who he is. How many of you hated Christ or tried to avoid Christ? You might have even been raised in a Christian home, but once you came, uh, left, and went off to college, you became a little 
bit of a person that was kind of difficult to deal with, if you know what I'm saying. But then you came to the knowledge of Christ, not because of anything that you did, but because of his grace and his mercy. He grabbed hold of you and delivered you from the mess you were in and the direction that you were heading in. And as a result of that, your eyes became clear and your testimony became different. We sit in here on Sunday mornings, Sunday evenings, singing the praises of God because he revealed himself to us. Not because we're great, not because we're good, not because we're smarter. There are people who are brain surgeons that reject the truth of Christ, but it's all of his grace. And so he has given us a new song, a new perspective on things. And listen, no one can set you free. See, the way I was talking, all the things that I thought about, you know, Romans 12, 2 says not to be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. No one can set you free like the Lord Jesus Christ, who as the scriptures declare in John 8, 36, whom the Son sets free is what? Free indeed. Concerning this very thing, listen to 1 Corinthians 3, 18. Now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the spirit. It is the spirit of God that called us, that justified us, and is now sanctifying us and opening our minds to the beauty and the greatness of who God is, the awesome person of who God, Christ is, the Holy Spirit is, the Father is. All this comes from above. David knew that. And praise God for his deliverance. Praise God for who God revealed himself to be. And through his experience of God's mighty deliverance, he was enabled to communicate some truths that were revealed to him. And this leads us to our second point, an incomparable resource. Look at verses four through five. David writes, blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not turn to the proud, to those who go astray after a lie. You have multiplied, O Lord, my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts towards us. None can compare with you I will proclaim and tell of them, yet there are more that can be told. What God has done for us and what he's going to do for us is even more than we can tell, David says. Eyes have not seen, ears have not heard, nor has it entered into our imagination the things that God has in store for us, we're told. David says he will endeavor to tell, but he will not be able to do so comprehensively because his God is, your God is, fill in the blank, all-powerful, all-knowing, ever-present, awesome in all his ways, perfect in all his ways. You cannot, none of us can ever describe God in his fullness. We can draw nay to him and learn more and more of him from glory to glory, but we will never comprehensively and fully understand the awesomeness of our God. And so we have a task before us, a beautiful task of getting to know him more and more as we wake up. Verse 4 tells us, blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust. Well, let me remind you 
that in verse 1, we heard David, and I told you I was going to say this. He said David is waited, waited patiently for the Lord, right? It said David waited patiently for the Lord. Well, let me tell you this. You will not wait patiently on what you don't trust, who or what you don't trust. Did you hear that? You will not wait patiently on who or what you don't trust. If you don't trust someone, you're not going to wait for them to do anything for you, even in the immediate or in the future or any time at all. So David had complete trust in God. Why did David have complete trust in God? Because his experience and knowledge taught him that he could trust God. Just like every single person in here who's been delivered, you should have experiential knowledge that you can trust God to deliver on all his promises. All his promises are yes and amen. David knew his past. He knew that the people that he came from, that the Jewish people were delivered through mighty, the mighty hand of God in Egypt. He knew Abraham sacrificed or tried to sacrifice his son, but God delivered him from having to do that. He knew all that stuff. And by the way, Abraham himself had faith and understood that Isaac would have been raised from the dead and therefore he placed his trust in God and was about to do what God called him to do because he had that sort of faith. And David understood that about Abraham. So just as Abraham was persuaded that God would raise Isaac from the dead if he obeyed, David didn't know how or why. We often don't know how or why God is going to accomplish what he's going to accomplish. But he knew God could be trusted. And sure enough, God came through for him. Now let's go back a little bit and remember that God anointed David to be king through Samuel. So either God was a big fat liar, God was setting David up for some sort of deceptive scheme, or God could be trusted. So if God anoints you to be something, if God lays his hand on you to be something, shouldn't you be able to trust God, the God that created everything, the God that could part the Red Sea, turn water into blood? That God, can you not trust him to do all that he has promised in his word? The answer is absolutely yes. And so David could wait patiently because he understood who it was that he was serving. Do you understand who it is that you're serving? Are you patient in the things that you're dealing with when you're dealing with the trials of this life? So now then, after speaking of God's great deliverance and the resource that he is to those who trust in him, David turns to the response the recipients of this measure of love and grace should have. So see, first David talks about his deliverance and praises God for his deliverance. Then he talks about God's character, the nature, the things of who God is and how he can be trusted because of who he is and what he's done. And so now the reasonable conclusion from that is that you walk with this God obediently. And so the proper response. So these next five verses are also the heart that we're going to see is also the heart of the messianic message in this chapter. But for now, let's focus on verses 6 through 8. What is the proper response to God's grace that he has poured out on you? What is the proper response? In verse 6, he says, In sacrifice and offering, you have not delighted, but you have given me an open ear, 
Burnt offering and sin offering you have not required. Then I said, Behold, I have come in the scroll of the book. It is written of me. I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. Now again, these verses can somewhat be applied to David. But brothers and sisters, you're pointing to the greater David. And I'm going to show you in a minute. But in sacrifice and offering you have not delighted, but you have given me an open ear. Burnt offering and sin offering you have not required. But wait a minute, Lord. I'm confused. I know that I read in Leviticus and throughout scripture that you are the one that prescribed the giving of sacrifices and offerings. What's going on here? Well, my son, well, my daughter, yes, I prescribed those things, but they were only an outward manifestation of what was I was internally looking for. I was looking for a heart and life of obedience. That's why the text says, but you have given me an open ear. It's David's way of saying God gave him an obedient heart. Now from there we can pivot. But now remember, I mentioned that the one way we know that a text is messianic in its orientation is found in the New Testament. And so we can pivot here now and go and look at Hebrews. And you'll find that there's a significant variation to note there. Here in, in 40, uh, Psalm 40.6, it says, In sacrifice and offering you have not delighted, but you have given me an open ear. But now if you turn to the book of Hebrews, the correlate verse reads, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. Now here we should note that this verse in, in the book of Hebrews is directly speaking of Christ. While in the verse in Psalm 40 is doing the same, but in types and shadows. First about David, but then about Christ. That is so it's a prefiguring of Christ in Psalms. So how do we account for the difference between both of these verses? You have given me an ear and a body I have prepared for you. Well, the answer is the writer of the book of Hebrews utilized the Septuagint in the Greek. That's a Greek translation of the Old Testament Hebrew text for his quote of Psalm 40, verse 6. But the thing that you should see here and the connection that you should see here is that in Psalms, there's a pointing and there's a saying that God wants obedience, not primarily offerings and burnt offerings and sacrifices. But then there's also something saying, you know what? You can't bring that which is perfect. You cannot satisfy my justice perfectly. And so you need an answer that's greater than yourself. In the Old Testament, the entire law was for that purpose, to point to the fact that we were unable to merit God's salvation. No matter what we did, we could not earn it because Again, the measuring stick is perfection. You heard that this morning. And so now the answer then, as we come from the types and shadows in the Old Testament to the new, and now Jesus is saying, but a body you have prepared for me. In Hebrews 5, it says, consequently, when Christ came into the world, listen to the next two words. He said, Christ came into the world he said, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared 
for me. So what's going on here? We already know that God did not want lambs and goats and those things were not perfect. Those things could not fulfill what God was looking for. But God himself, if you look at Philippians 2, you see it says that Christ became or took on the form, morphe, the form of a man. When you think about Psalm 139, you recognize and realize that God says that he knit us in our parents' wombs. The Holy Spirit came upon Mary. And so every visage, every part of Christ, the Christ man that walked on the earth was created by God himself. That body God himself prepared for us. Because God understood that we could not measure up, that we were sinners desperately in need of a savior, of a perfect lamb. And so the perfect lamb was created, was made by God, the man, Jesus Christ. And that man came, according to Philippians 2, God himself took on flesh and became man. So in burnt offerings and sin offerings, you have taken no pleasure. This is Hebrews uh, 6. You have taken no pleasure. Why is he not taking any pleasure in those things? Again, two things you've already heard. One, because what he really wants is our obedience. And two, those things cannot perfectly serve as our mediator. Perfectly cover our sin. Verse 7, then I said, behold, I have come to do your will, O God. This is verse 7 in Hebrews. So here we have again, now you turn, if you were to, to think of Luke 4, 18, when Jesus came of age in his ministry, the Bible said that he grew in stature and wisdom. And when he came of age now and he comes before the Pharisees, he says this in Luke 4, 18, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberties to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Christ was speaking in fulfillment of Isaiah 61. So this same Jesus Christ, again, who is shown here in Hebrews, who was in type and shadows in Psalm 40 and is now revealed here in the book of Hebrews, he was sent for, these, for this very reason, to set us captives free. Then I said, behold, I have come to do the will of God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. Psalm 40, verse 7, then I said, behold, I have come in the scroll of the book, it is written of me. Same thing. And then he says this, I delight to do your will, O God. Your law is within my heart. That's verse 8. Question, which one of you perfectly delighted in doing the, the, the law and the will of God? Which one of you perfectly does that even now? This place is quiet. It must be Presbyterian or, or an admission of sin or guilt. Or what, what's going on in here? <laughs> None of us, right? Not one of us. And so... Only Christ, this could only be said. Remember I said in some Psalms, it could only be said of Christ. I delight to do your will, O oh my God. 
Your law is within my heart. Constantly, Jesus said, his entire ministry on earth, my will is to do the will of the Father. Now, here's the thing. If we are in Christ, then the will of Christ becomes our will. The Spirit of God prods us and moves us to fulfill, to walk in Christ, and to fulfill the things in Christ. Verse 9, I have told the glad news of deliverance in the great congregation. Behold, I have not restrained my lips as you know, O Lord. So David is saying, God, what you have done in me, what you've done through me, I will not shut up. I will not bear witness to your goodness. I will not bear witness to what you've done. The Lord Jesus Christ, when he walked on earth, he refused not to speak of the Father. He did the Father's will at every turn that he went. He spoke and he did the Father's will and, and, and purposes, fulfill his purposes perfectly. His act of obedience. I have not concealed your steadfast love and your faithfulness from the great congregation. Our Lord, as he came to this earth, he fulfilled the purposes of God perfectly. David, David came and David walked before God, an imperfect man, but a man after God's own heart. Walked before God, witnessed God's deliverance time and time again. As a result, he could communicate the things of God to others, and he did so boldly. Are we bold in communicating the things of God to others? Can we say that we recognize the rescue of God, our rescue through Jesus Christ? Are our hearts so filled with gratitude that our mouths cannot be stilled? And do we recognize that we cannot merit salvation before our God, and so we must rely on this one who came and spoke and who's revealed in the book of Hebrews as our mediator, as our prophet, our priest, and our king. Will we live in and through him and thereby testify to his goodness to all those that are in our sphere of influence? What we see in verses 6 through 8 could be summarized in this way. And When I read this, you must say, well, Dean, why did you take 30 minutes? You should have just said that and sat down, right? It could be summarized in this way. The son came in a prepared body, but a body you have prepared for me. God prepared it. It also shows that Jesus came publicly and openly. That's verse 6. It also shows that the Messiah is the great theme of Scripture. That's verse 7. It also speaks of the dedication of the son to do the will of God. That's verse 8. And finally, it shows Jesus' love and obedience to the word of God. Your law is within my heart. Jesus is the perfect son, the perfect God, our Lord and our Savior. As long as we live in and through him, we will be safe. He is the rock that we've spoken of last week. He is the rock that we look to this week. And forevermore. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ, and the fact that he alone qualified as our propitiation, as a propitiation for our sins, the satisfaction of our sins.
We see here, however, how David loved you, recognized and reflected on your deliverance and your goodness towards him. And as a result of that, he walked and lived with a testimony of your goodness. Would you empower and enable us to also reflect on the things that you've done, the great deliverance from sin that we experience because of your grace? Would you give us tongues, open mouths that would testify of your goodness in and through all around in our spheres of influence? Would you, Lord, cause us to know and understand the great work that our Lord did on our behalf, becoming a man like us, taking our place and being sacrificed as the ultimate sacrifice so that we might be reconciled to you. Would you give us eyes to understand, hearts to understand these things at a deep level so that our gratitude may flow forth, living lives of obedience before you. Would you do all these things to the praise of your glory? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.